Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is, Who Are You Being? I'm excited to welcome back my guest today, who was on the show a few months ago, and we had such a profound conversation and such a fun connection that he was like, let's do this again. And I said, yes, of course, let's do this again. Um, Because I just felt like there was so much more information to come through and share. He's lived such an incredible life and has so much wisdom on just not only health, but just living life, like what it is to be human and have this human experience. And so I wanted to capture that and share it with you guys and also to be able to receive Uh, this wisdom myself through our conversation. And so I'm happy to have him back on the show. Um, If you haven't listened to the first episode, you can go on back and listen to his first episode. Um, But today there are just some powerful morsels of information um, on the show. And he talks a lot too about relationships. And we've been focusing on relationships because Like I said, to transform your life, you have to transform your relationships. You have to understand them. Um, And I put together a small course uh, about the empath narcissist connection because I just found in my practice that so many people uh, were in these dynamics with both love interests, but also just people in their lives, whether it's like a parent or a child or a friend or another relative, a sibling, and tangled in these energetic dynamics. And so... Um, We talk about it a little bit today, how we relate to other people and how people relate to us. And I think it's really important to gather all the information you can um, in how you're relating to the world around you. So I'm excited to have Mr. Udo Erasmus on the show again today. He is the co-founder of Udo's Choice Oils, um, which can be found in Whole Foods and other health food stores worldwide. Udo designed a special machinery for making oils with health in mind, and he pioneered flax oil, a billion-dollar industry. However, Udo walked a difficult path to become the man he is today. Being a child of war, Udo's life began with intense struggle, and as an adult, he got pesticide poisoning in 1980, leaving doctors at a loss regarding treatment. Deciding to take his health into his own hands, he began researching and his discoveries led him into a passion for finding the answers to life's biggest questions, which would hopefully one day bring him and the world peace. Today, Udo is an acclaimed speaker and author of many books, including the best-selling Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, which has sold over 250,000 copies. He teaches at events hosted by Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra, has keynoted an international brain health conference, and has traveled to over 30 countries to conduct thousands of live presentations, media interviews, and staff trainings, impacting more than 25 million lives with his message on oils, health, peace, nature, and human nature. Udo has an extensive education in biochemistry, genetics, biology, and nutrition, including a master's degree in counseling psychology. With no further ado, please help me welcome Udo to the show. Welcome back to the show, Udo. I'm excited to have you back here. Oh, glad to be on again. Yes, wonderful. I know that the first chat that we had was so eye-opening in so many different ways for me. And I want to dive into, you know, a little bit deeper. We talked about the oils. We talked about, you know, kind of physical health and your journey. And I want to go into kind of like, what are what are the life lessons? What is What can nature teach us? What can we 
what do we need to see about ourselves? Like, it's interesting when we get to different sections of our life. Like I look back on my journey and, and each decade of my life. And probably if you talk to me at different points in my life, I would, I would have different vantage points or perspectives or things I think are important. And yeah. you've had such an interesting journey and such a fascinating life. I'm personally curious, like what's, what are the takeaways that you've come to at this point in your life and the things that you think are valuable that we need to know? Holy smokes. You just blew the door off of the hinges. Yeah, I'm not going to talk anymore. This is the rest of the, the rest of this is for you. <laughs> so, well, it depends. Yeah, I, I think it's true. If you if you asked me when I was 10 years old, what was my takeaways? It would be very different from now that I'm almost 80, right? So, <clears throat> I remember when I was maybe eight years old, I read a book that was about the anthropologist who dug up Troy, you know, the city of Troy. Yes. Yeah. And the exploration and the excavation, and they find all these, these, uh, all these artifacts from the, from the city of Troy. And I remember reading the book and I was completely fascinated by the story. And at the end of it, I went to my mother and I said, I'm really sad. She said, why? I said, I just read this incredible book, and I'm never going to read another book because I can't imagine that there could be a more interesting book than that book. Oh, so that was a beautiful story. You know, and since then, I've probably read about 4,000 books. Or, right. You, <laughs> you know. didn't stick with that, but. No, no. But, but it was like, it, it, I was just so inspired by it. And it was just a story. You know, a guy dug up some sand and there was like old trinkets, so, you know, things they drank out of and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, but to me, it was just like fascinating. It's like, oh, my God, this is possible. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the takeaway, really, there are two takeaways. It's one is what you learn from living in nature. So that's the world that surrounds you. So that'll be other people but it'll also be the natural environment that is the foundation of every culture, right? Because all cultures come out of nature. And sometimes they get very separated from the nature they come out of. That True. usually denotes that the, that the culture is in decline. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we are definitely in decline. Yeah, I was just going to say, right yeah, yeah. look at the way we are. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then the other thing is that the takeaway is what you learn from your own nature, from being present in your, own, this, in your own space. Because in the space that your body occupies, there is physical, but there's also mental, and there's also energetic, and there's also beyond that awareness stuff that is all part of your makeup. And the deeper you go and the less physical you become in your exploration, the closer you get to the the I, I don't know how to say it the, to the to the universal foundations. For instance, in the core of your being, every human being, no matter what their story is, what their history is, what their doings have been, you know what what their culture, their religion, their race, their gender is. In the core of every human being, is a peace that comes out of awareness that is that is uh, all-encompassing and unchangeable. So nothing you ever do, any dramas or traumas that you might ever get involved in, will not affect the peace that is the core, that is the foundation of your existence. That's good news. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's powerful. And that place that exists in your foundation because it's not affected by any of the dramas and traumas that you go through, and everybody goes through them. It doesn't matter how incredibly beautiful your parents are, or like me, you were in, in a war where everything was topsy-turvy. That peace was not affected by the war, or by the dramas, or even by the, 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 the perks. That peace is just peace, and it's always there and it's always accessible, provided you can sit still enough to let your awareness go inward into the core of your own being. 
Now, we don't tend to do that, except I got there early because I had my war when I was two and a half. So I was a refugee at two and a half, and I started thinking about peace very early because to me it was like as a kid, you know, you were sort of, you don't know the world, so you're full of ideas. Man, there must be a better way than this to live. And I'm going to find out what that is. So that, so that, that determination for me came really early because, because my childhood was such a mess, you know. Because yeah. it wasn't just the war, but at how it affected the people. And then being with those people afterwards that were shell-shocked by the war. And that usually goes on for two or three generations. And then people forget and become sloppy again. And then they create the situation for the next war. Yeah. Right? That's kind of that's how it goes. Well, and, I'll, I'll share something really quick about that. I've with my son, I was reading basically eighth grade history. He's much younger, but we were going through the history of all time. And if you read a book from start to finish about whatever people believe is the beginning of time, you know, whatever that story is that you believe until let's say present day, you start to see the very cyclical nature mm-hmm. of these stories. Just like you talk about people going away from nature and then that's usually the end, you know, of their yeah. civilization. Um, nothing illustrates that more clearly than reading from front to back. And then you say, well, here we are again in this cyclical, how do we get out of this? this Somebody somebody said the biggest lesson from history is that we don't learn anything from history. (laughs) Seriously. Even even if we study history, we don't learn anything. It's so true. Because it's not because it's not about what we carry in our head but how present we are in the space our body occupies that determines what kind of quality of life we're going to have. Mm. So if you're present to the awareness, I started talking about that, and then the unconditional love that is life, and then the inspiration that is the shine of that unconditional love into the world, if you're present to that, you're going to have a pretty good quality of life because you're not depending on other people for your love. You get some from other people. But if you're dependent on it, that's not so good. But when you realize that life loves your body unconditionally, 24-7, again, through all your dramas and traumas, never affected by any of them, always just doing what life does to take care of the body over and over and over again, never goes on strike, never bitches, you know, never, never wants a raise, never takes a weekend off. Never says, ah, I'm tired of this. I want to do something else, right? Always there, always there, always there. Doing everything that makes a body work and repairs a body. And the only responsibility we have is what we swallow. Because once we swallowed it, life takes over. We're not in charge anymore. Interesting. And it does a pretty awesome job. Yes, it does. Right? And that, and that life, that life energy is solar energy that's stored in bonds between molecules that we eat that becomes our life energy when it's inside, when it's flowing through our body. It's the same solar energy. And that energy, when we go subjective to it, where we, where we get still and we go into that space and, you, and we sense that energy, because you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, and you can even taste it. That energy, when we go subjective on it, is called the master. And the masters of the ages, the great masters, whether it's Buddha or Krishna or Ram or Jesus or maybe Socrates is in that club somewhere too, and uh, lots, of, lots of other ones, the masters, the great masters, that's what they were talking from. And that's what they were talking about. And they all said, what I have, you have. And if you do what I do, which is to sit still and tune in, you will have the same experience I'm having. You know, and why did they say that? It's because people came around. They, they loved that energy. Oh, my God, these guys are so hot. These guys are so amazing. Right? How do you do that? I want that, too. And I don't want to depend on you for it. I want to be able to go there whenever I need to. And I can't always just follow you around because, you know, one day you're in 
Jerusalem, and the next day you're in Bethlehem, and the next day you're in somewhere else, and the next day you're somewhere else. And then one day your body checks out, and then I can't depend on you at all. What do I need to do to be able to go there and find that, that you're ta- what you're talking about, or find you within my own sphere, within my own existence? And they all said, oh, you, you got to sit still, bring your awareness inside instead of going out, out, out all the time. Take time, you know, to do, to, to move around, to mess around with things. Take time every day. Make a commitment every day. Give some time to do nothing and to f- be. Because being is actually your foundation. Because you can, do, you, can, you can be without doing, but you can't do without being. And we are supposed to be human beings but we've become human doings because we don't give being the time that it deserves. And yet in being is everything we're looking for. Everything we're always looking for. I want to be happy and I want to feel rich and I want to be, I mean, I want to be rich, be rich, right? Yeah. Not have rich, not get rich, not, you know, not do rich. I want to be rich Well, you already are because the rich in being is a feeling. And that experience is a state of being that you already have. You came loaded with it into the world. And in fact, you spent your first nine months in that space. Because when you were in your mother's womb, there was no place to go and nothing to do. And everything was taken care of. And it was safe. And you didn't know that you had had no language. You had no ideas. You, you couldn't dream up possibilities. You had no imagination at that time. And you didn't know that there was a world outside of the womb. And you didn't know who your mother was. And you didn't even know you had a body. So where was the focus of your awareness at that time? Because there was no place to go. Well, it would have been at rest in its source, within your body, in life, and, be, and beyond life in awareness. So you hung out in your, I call it the Buddha tank, because it sounds nice, right? Yeah. So you hung out in the Buddha tank, and you were literally, for the first nine months of your, of your life, you were in deep meditation. And in that place, you never started any wars, and you never did any stupid things, right? And the less you do, the, more, the, the less you screw up, right? That was true for us now as well, right? If every 8 billion people sat down and did nothing for a day, Nobody would get killed. It's we true. wouldn't wreck anything, right? Yeah. And, and, and we, but we don't do it even one day a year. We don't even do it one hour a day. We don't do it at all unless somebody locks us up <laughs> in solitary confinement. And even then, we just go crazy in our head. That's why solitary confinement is such a threat to people. But if you know how to go inside to get into the all-encompassing peace that exists within you, and that also surrounds you everywhere. And that, and that empowered, unconditional love that, is, that, that runs your, your body. If you could just sit in, in solitary confinement and go to that place, you say, hey, leave me here. Leave me here. Don't, give me just, <laughs> don't just give me 10 days in the, in the you know. I'm in a the, deep meditation here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave me here for a month. <laughs> Hell, give me three years. <laughs> right? Yeah. You come out and you'll come out and you'll be glowing. <laughs> right. You'll be radiant. Well, that's if you, so, if so you where, found your peace, if you don't drive yourself crazy in your own mind by thinking, thinking, thinking when you don't need to. Right. Right. And that's, that's a great example of like why the resistance. So, like, really, with that example of solitary confinement, if you someone puts you in there and your belief system is this is awful and bad and you resist yeah. being yeah. there and you resist everything and your mind is going and yeah. going and going, you can make yourself like crazy, right? Well, then, yeah, then you make it bad by your own thoughts about it. Right. So like, why is there so much resistance within a human being? So even people that believe in meditation or believe in silent silence or are listening to this, shaking their head. Yes, yes, yes. What causes us to not do the thing that we know will probably be super beneficial, like to have resistance to that silence? Yeah, let me let me get to that in a second. Yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing about, you know, so when you were in your Buddha tank, you were in solitary confinement. 
and it was not a curse and you weren't even bored right yep because you lived in total peace because your awareness was in the total peace part of your existence and from there you could also figure out and usually you don't find that out until you're an adult doing some kind of meditation practice that that peace that is in the core of your being does not end where your body ends but that peace you are a center of that peace and it goes from the center of your being all the way out to infinity peace has always been everywhere but only peace knows that so if you don't see peace everywhere it's because you're not in touch with the peace from which you will see peace everywhere your state of being defines your experience right yes if it's love then you see love everywhere it's if it's joy you see joy everywhere if it's anger you see enemies everywhere if you if you're afraid you see danger anywhere so your state of being defines your experience and defines your actions and defines the world that you that you build so probably we need to embrace the peace within us if we want to create a peaceful world and we need to do that personally because the world we build is an expression of our state of being. Now, so your question about why, why are we afraid of something that is really cool? Because we've been, to, well, for one thing, we have memories of, of all the bad behavior we did. And we've been judged for that behavior by other people, whether we got caught or not. We know the standards, right? And then the people say, well, subconscious, you know, you got subconscious stuff and there's a shadow and there's a little devil inside of you and, you know, evil, you know, and that, all of that stuff, you know. Uh, Carl Jung said something really interesting. He said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So until you make the unconscious conscious, you will be a victim of what you're not aware of that's within you. And so we have over the, the peace and the unconditional love that is the core of our existence, we have overlaid memories of dramas and traumas and, and wrong, so-called wrongdoings and behavior and what people said when you didn't do their agenda, so they, call, they called you bad, right? Yep. Because your authentic self would be about living your life for your own enjoyment of it, because that's gift one, you know, and purpose one is to enjoy the gift that the universe gave you personally for you to enjoy that no one else can enjoy for you. And if you don't enjoy it, it's a wasted gift. But we've been told, no, 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 that's too much. That's selfish. Don't do that. Do this instead. Because the people who can control you want you to fulfill their agenda. They don't want you to fulfill your agenda, right? That's how slavery and indentured, indentured servants, service, that's where it comes from. And then we have that. So we have overlaid over this incredible magnificence and awesomeness. We have some junk, mental junk, emotional junk, right? True. And so then we're afraid that if we go deeper, then we're going to come up with this junk and then we have to deal with it. And to some extent, that's true because you, you go deeper inside the stuff that's stored there that you've never really dealt with will come up and show its ugly face on its way out. And, and if you persist in, in going in, going in, going in, instead of following the junk out, Go in, go in, go in. You will end up with inspiration, then with life energy, unconditional love, then with perfect peace. And that is the essence of the integrity of your authentic self. And that's true for every human being. The master lives inside of every human being. You want an authentic life? Find the master inside. So beautiful. Is it cool? Yeah, it's super cool. And I think it's super important right now in this time frame that we're living in 
because there's so much going on externally Mm -hmm. and, and people are so emotional about what's going on externally. And when there's a lot going on externally, like you, you, when you were growing up, you can easily be pulled right away from yourself, like by all the external noise and why it's more important that you're saying we build the reality, you know what I mean? From that inner connection and how, and people will say, or that that inner disconnection. Yeah. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I want the world to be different. Well, if you want the world to be different, go in and and learn about the master, right? Yeah. yeah, Become, be different, different. but you don't even have to become different. You just have to explore you. The you know what do we call them our our better angels the better angels within our own being yes so what we're doing is we t- and and they, they it's natural to go out and we've been doing it for two hundred thousand years and we've bam- been bamboozled our institutions have failed us including the church the, the 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 religious institutions as well as the state and I think a lot of that's coming out now how corrupt it is. Yes. It's always been corrupt. There have yeah. always been people who want to control everything and they want to marshal your energy for their for their enrichment. Now the church did that, the the uh, the government did that, businesses do that because they always work for a profit. They always want to get a little bit more out than they put in. Right? But that's how you that's how you destroy a culture. Because if you want to improve a culture, you have to put more in than you take out, right? Yeah. But if you're taking out more than you put in, you're actually breaking down your culture, your society, your 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 uh, you know your commonality, your commonwealth. Let's put it that way. Your common commonality. Yeah. And of course, we live in a time where everybody just wants more, more, give me more, give me more. We are entitled. You know, it goes like you have a war, you become humble, you start to make effort because you want peace. Then you get, then you, you get the peace, then you get the prosperity because prosperity is, is, is built on peace. Then you become prosperous, then you become entitled, then you become arrogant, then you create conflict then you get a war then you become humble again right that's the cycle yeah i see say it in different ways but that's the kind of cycle it is except if you live consciously because if you live consciously and you understand that's the cycle any human being could say you know what i'm not doing that cycle why not well because i skinned my knee once and i didn't like it and whenever there's conflict, people get hurt, and I don't like it. I'm going to live in a way that I don't create that cycle. That means deliberate conviction, deliberate uh, determination, deliberate commitment to cultivating peace during peacetime. Deliberately cultivating unconditional love during peacetime. Because it's a lot harder to cultivate peace when your butt's getting shot off than it is when you actually have the time and the luxury. But we squander the luxuries in adventures that don't that don't that don't grow. Our our you know our more are more wholeness kinds of experiences. So yes. we squander the energy in adventures, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with adventures. There's something wrong with not also cultivating what will prevent us from destroying what we've built by our own silliness. Yeah. Do you, in your life experience, like, Cause I know you talked about cultivating peace earlier because of growing up, you know, during a yeah, time yeah. of war, yeah. um, you know, w- did you always find that place inside yourself from the time you were little? Like, has that been a practice that's in your life for all of your life? Or there are times that you moved closer to it or moved away from it. And what, what are the notes? Like when you look back over your life, like what do you notice different well, from the, so the, the idea that we could live better than we do, 
that came to me when I was six, when I watched adults argue about really silly things. And I said, man, there must be a way to live in harmony because it always made me uncomfortable when people argued. There must be a way that we can live in harmony and I'm going to find out how. That's been my central driver. But did I go on a straight shot? And just, no, hell no. I get distracted. Why? Because my senses take me out just like everybody else's. So every day your senses take you out into the world because you need to assess the world for survival. You know, is this friend, is this foe, or is it irrelevant? And then you act accordingly, right? So yeah. that happens every day automatically. But coming back home to yourself isn't automatic because there's nothing in the peace inside that says, look at me, look at me, ah, I'm a cool, yeah, you, yeah wow. You know, the, because peace isn't like that. Peace is yeah. like when there's nothing going on. So what we have, though, that is really helpful is that when we're not in the peace, then our heart aches. Then our heart aches because something is not whole. We have disconnected from ourselves. And heartache, if you boil it down to its essence. Heartache is the heart calling the focus of your awareness to come back home inside to life, to awareness, where it was before you were born. And that I'm heartache will okay. not leave you alone until you come home. But we have nothing in our cultures that makes it clear to us that that's what heartache is. It's also heartache, it's restlessness, it's emptiness, it's grief, it's sorrow, it's sadness, it's striving, it's longing, it's, uh, it's blues. And there's all different kinds of triggers that trigger heartache. But the heartache is not about the triggers. The heartache is about our disconnection from ourselves. Once you understand that, then you can say, you know what, every time I feel heartache, I'm just going to sit with it even though it's a little uncomfortable, even though I might have some tears, I'm going to sit with it because it takes me out of my head, puts me in my chest, so I'm not in my words right now. I'm grounded. It's my driving force. It's my heart calling my awareness to come back home. It's the starting point for that journey. And when I learn to get good at doing the journey inward, then I'll start drifting again, and then heartache will come back to remind me that actually I need to give this attention. So it's a huge gift. It's the greatest gift we have other than being alive. That just is because, so powerful. Just because, so... Yeah, just because it will not give up on us. It will not give up on calling us to come home to ourselves to the master within ourselves, to the love within ourselves, to the peace within ourselves. Oh, that's so beautiful. Like, just think about how many actions that people take that disrupt their life or cause, you know, cause arguments or tragedies or whatever because of the that heartache, because of not being able to answer that call or understand what you just described and answering right. that call. Right. You could probably track everything that goes on in your life that, you go, gosh, wish I wouldn't have said that, wish I wouldn't have done that from that acting out, right? right? Continuing to act out instead of the invitation to go in. Right. Well, there's two things. One is the automatic going out to the world for survival. And then the other one, and so that's distraction, right? Once right. you're safe, then that going out is distraction. You can call it distraction or you can call it you ignore the, the, the heartache or you try to explain it away in your head with some theory or some formula or something, uh, or uh, you deny it, or you blame it on somebody, right? And part of what we do with, in, in what you're talking about when we have relationship difficulties is because I see the goddess in you, and maybe you see the god in me, you know, and then we fall in love, and you think you're going to get your fulfillment from me and I think I'm going to get your fulfillment from you but you don't know how to get to your fulfillment your love your your that god likeness to bring into the relationship 
and I can't get to it in myself to bring into the relationship, well, then where the hell is it supposed to come from in the relationship if neither you or I can get to it? And I'm, I'm sort of putting it on you just because you and I yes. are talking, right? Yes. But that's how it works. That's, how, that's why the relationships fail, because we expect the other person to do our, our homework for us. And, and, and I'm saying, now, now that I'm almost 80, right? I, I mean, I, I didn't practice that when I was younger, because nobody ever told me about it, and I ne never thought about it. Actually, we are not ready for a relationship until we have a relationship with that disconnected part of ourselves, that love, that peace. And when we have a relationship with our own life, then we can be trusted with somebody else's life too. But until we do, we can't be trusted with somebody else's life. Then we expect each other to do our homework. And then because the person can't do the homework, then we think, well, they don't want to do the homework. And then we get mad at them. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a wonder that any of, any of the relationships work out with all the dynamics that we project well, onto somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah. and 60% of them don't. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and the ones that do work out, a lot of them are not, not very giving, right? right? And here's the thing. When I've done my homework and I feel loved by this unconditional love that takes care of my body called life, now it's not like, you know, it used to be always it was like, what can I do? What can I do that will get me taken care of? Everything I did is like, what do I get back? You know, and there were things that needed to be done that I wouldn't do because I couldn't see how they would take care of me. That's not very responsible, but that's, and so I was a getter because I always, I needed something because I, I needed something and I was, I, I wasn't getting it. And I was trying to find out where I'm going to get it from. And of course it doesn't come from outside because the getting I'm looking for is the reconnection to my, of my disconnection to myself. But I didn't know that. Right. Yes. And then when I started, when I finally, finally found my way back to that, then it changed, everything changed. It's like, oh my God, I'm cared for. It's not about me anymore. What needs to be done? Where can I help? How can I make the biggest splash for good in the time I have on this planet? Mm -hmm. And then I can do, now I can do things that need to be done, not because they're going to take care of me, but because they need to be done. And now I get to give without having to have something back. See, and now I can actually build something because I'm not taking out more than I'm putting in. I'm actually putting in more than I'm taking out because I'm cared for. I don't need more, right? It doesn't matter if, you know, I don't even need the acknowledgement. You know, it's not, it's not, I mean, I don't mind getting acknowledgement when it's, when it's due, you know, when it's appropriate. But I'm not doing it for the acknowledgement. I'm doing it because it needs to be done. And if nobody says, nobody notices, no problem to me because I noticed. I notice and it feels good. There is something in human beings that feels incredibly good when they help other people have better quality of life. That's the Very second true. purpose. Very the true. first purpose is to enjoy the gift because nobody else can enjoy it for me. And the second purpose is help where you can. I love so that. Simple. I love so that. Simple. It's so simple, but the way you describe it is so profound in the sense of like, you know, being willing to give more, like when you're not from that place of like empty inside, needing, wanting, like, show me that you care for me. Yeah. I need to take, take, take. Then, then the giving is just an extension of self. It's just an extension of the peace and the beauty and all the stuff that you get from connecting with yourself because it needs to be done because it's going to help. Yeah. And it's, it's no about, worry. yeah. And it's about the unconditional love that is the essence of my being life because life is who I am. I'm not the body. Life yes. is who I am. Right. That's yes. why I call this my body. It's my property. It's yeah. my responsibility. But that's not what I am. And if you say, well, who is the owner? If this is your body, who's the owner? Well, life is the owner of the body. Weighs nothing, runs everything. Omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient in the body. Life. Yes. Right? Yes. And life shines. It's like the sun. 
You know, you don't have to ask the sun for sunshine. No. Shining is its nature. But our essence is love and loving is our nature. But we don't know that if our focus isn't in life, in that state of being. See, then we're distracted by something else and then maybe the doorknob has become really important. You know, for whatever reason, right? Yeah. Or, or what you did yesterday that didn't take care of me the way I thought I should be taken care of, you know, that's still on my mind. And then I have, then I have some stuff that I take out on you, right? Exactly. But, it's, but when we're present in our authentic self, your authentic self is unconditional love. That's your individual essence. Your universal essence is, is all-encompassing peace. So peace is the foundation. Love is your essence. What are you going to do if you're made out of peace and love? <laughs> right? It's going to do pretty good stuff. It's so true. But, so but we need, I think, we, I think we're in a time where the paradigm, the paradigm shift needs to happen. We've always assigned the, what I'm talking about to the masters. The masters all said, we, have, we all have it. You know, I mean, there's one, one, my favorite quote. This is like from the New Testament, right? So Jesus says, what you have done to one of the least of these people, that you have done to me. Well, how, what does that mean? That can only be true if he's saying, I am in everyone. What you see in me is in everyone. Yes. Treat everyone the way you would treat me. Oh, okay. You know, well, you know, all of a sudden, if that's what it means, it works. It actually works. You know, it's not like, you know, I'm the chosen one. We were all chosen by the same master called life. Life chose, we're all chosen people. And all the plants are chosen. And all the trees are chosen. And all the grasses are chosen. They were chosen by life to exist for the time that they have. Then it makes sense. Somebody's yes. hungry, you give them food. You know, not not at your own expense, but you can. But you, if you have more food than you need, we don't have to sacrifice anything. We just have to understand the nature of our own being and what that means for how we live in the world. So amazing! It makes me think about. Like you were talking about paradigm shift at this time and, mm -hmm. and where we're at and the power that we give to, let's say the masters like Jesus and people not feeling like they, they are that too inside of yeah. themselves. Yeah. What do you feel like the paradigm shift is that's happening right now? Do you feel like it's more and more people being able to understand what we're talking about today within themselves? Do you feel like that's happening do you feel like it's not happening at all? What's your perspective? Well, it's happening and it's not happening. It's ha you know, the, the second coming. I, I love this thing. The second coming, you know? Yes. So everybody's been told there's going to be second coming and it's going to be, uh, was it power and glory and, you know, coming through the clouds and, you know, all, the, all this stuff, right? Yes. So here it is. This guy came, mastered something offered it to people, and they killed him. So you think he's going to come back to the same stupid people that haven't learned anything over 2,000 years other than to babble words, but that have not embodied any of what, his, what he's teaching? You think, he could, you think he'd be coming back for that? Why would, Why would <laughs> you? Why would you? Somebody once said, you know, he says, you know, Krishna and Jesus and Buddha and all those guys, they're all up in heaven. And they're looking at the earth and they're saying, you know, they need some help down there. Who wants to go? And nobody volunteers. <laughs> right? Why would you? Because if we're the same stupid people that crucified this master who came with incredible wisdom and beautiful stuff. And we haven't learned anything in 2000 years. The guy would come and we would do the same thing to him then. Like again, because we haven't learned anything. 
So the second coming, in my view, is when we embody, when we understand and then embody the message of the master. When we master what the masters mastered. And we become examples of their teachings rather than parrots of their teacher. Teaching parrots, right? You would just, you know, Polly yeah. Wannacracker, right? Yes. Because saying the words is not what it was about. Embodying what the masters embodied, embodying what the message was, embodying the possibility is what the message was about. Eight billion people could do that because it's in everyone. Underneath the dust and the layers of dramas and traumas and stuff and distractions, every human being is like that. So powerful. And that's really the invitation right now. I, I see the same thing. The invitation is, can everybody not turn this over to, we need to look up to this person or we need to put this person on a pedestal or we give up yeah. our power to this person, but instead each person recognizing the love within them, recognizing their own you know, value in the whole, right? Yeah. And their ability to connect with themselves. Yeah. Like it's so different than history cycles. That is so different than yeah. what you read in the history books. Yeah, no, a virus in two months, was able to put the entire world on hold in a way that none of the masters individually or collectively have been able to do in several thousand years. Yeah. And part of, and part of what happened is people couldn't go outside. The distractions got cut off. Oh my God, I can't travel like I used to. Oh my God, I got to do this. Oh my God, I'm locked up. Oh my God. So my quip to that was, if you can't go outside, go inside. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of, of case, a lot of frustrations because when, when your addiction gets cut off, then you recognize how addicted you are to all that stuff, True. to all your distractions. And we're very addicted. We th we're addicted and we think we're entitled. And then somebody comes and says, well, sorry, sorry, guys, you're not entitled. Sorry, guys, we're locking you up. Sorry, you can't do what you want to do. Right. And then there's frustration. How dare you? How dare you take my freedom away? Truth is, you never you never had freedom in the first place. You're not free to be a bird. You know, you're not free to do whatever you want with whomever you want, whenever you want. That's that's license. That's not freedom. The only thing you're free to do is where you put your focus, that you have complete freedom of. But people don't know that. And they don't know what all of the possibilities are for where to put the focus, right? And so in part, there's a frustration because we're addicted to distraction. And in part, people actually took it on. Oh my God, now I have the time to do some of the things that are a little bit more deep, like a little deeper, a little more personal that I've always wanted to, that I've never had the time for, or that I've always had an excuse to put off. And now here I am sitting in my house with nothing to do. Now I can do some of those things. And a lot of people, I think, and it's, you know, and, and it's a process, you know, first you go through the addiction withdrawal, and then maybe you come to a point where, you know, you shut off your television and you shut off the distractions in your own house and you like you do like what I did I sat in my living room shut off my tv because it was going on and on and on and on and on and on fear 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 control 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 you know I don't I don't need that shut it off sat in my living room and just looked around I said oh my god there is so much peace in this house but when I turn on the squawk box then my awareness gets distracted, gets focused on the squawk instead of being focused on the peace that is everywhere in my house, including within my own body, right? And so people are doing that as well. And people are recognizing that the reason why we're doing so many crazy things and why there's so much control stuff and there's why there's so many lies and so much corruption is because the first corruption was our disconnection from ourselves. And when, and, and when I get reconnected to myself, the corruption stops. And when the corruption stops and I feel cared for, I don't have to lie to anybody. 
I don't have to deceive. I don't have to steal. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to grab. Yeah. Right. I don't have to be get, 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 get. How can I get more? How can I get more? And you see that happen under the lockdown scenario too, right? Some yes. people got a lot more and got re and very grabby. And some, some of them, you know, it's almost like you could predict where they're going to make the money when you create a formula for a lockdown. Oh, yes. PCR tests. Oh, people made money on PCR tests. And people make money on masks. And people make, you know, made money on, on all kinds of stuff. Right? Yes. Because they'll take, because there are people who look at everything as how can I take advantage of it? That's what they even call it. How can I exploit this situation? Exploit means taking more than you're giving. Right? Take advantage means getting more for myself than for anybody else. And you say the words, you say the words like steal and exploit, but the human psyche is such that, you know, people would say, I would guess that let's say they're taking advantage of this mask situation or the PCR test. They would say it's just good business, right? Like people skew that into, they don't look at themselves and say, yeah, I'm exploiting this situation. They skew that into, oh, there's a business opportunity. You yeah, see yeah. this all the time, right? Yeah. And it's this twist on words. From well, it is, well, no, here's the thing. It, it is good business. It's just really bad citizenship. Correct. Right? It's, it's, it's good business because business is about making more money, you know, giving less than you take, right? Yes. And making valuation. Like a guy who ships stuff uh, around the country. Right. And yes. it and and has two hundred billion dollars. You know why he has two hundred billion dollars? Because he's why? charging more for shipping things than he needs to. Yes. And he could say, well, you know what? I'm going to make all of my shipping 10 percent cheaper or 20 percent cheaper, whatever, whatever this is. The, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. Right. And or he can say, well, I made two hundred million dollars or two hundred billion dollars more than I needed to, where can I help the quality of life for the most people on this planet, given that money is the, you know, and then maybe you hire better teachers, or maybe you help people who, whose businesses got, got bankrupted during the, during the yes. pandemic, or whatever it is, you know, or how do we teach peace and contentment and yes. unconditional love in schools to kids to yes. begin with, right? And there are some people who learn meditation in school and it improves their behavior and there's less conflict and there's less fights and they learn better and they get better marks. And, you know, so there's a lot of places where people can take these profits and put them back into the community. Or you could look at how you could plant those 7.5 trillion trees that we hacked off the planet, they were 10 trillion, now there's 2.5 trillion. So we've hacked off 7.5 trillion trees. Do you think that changes the weather and the climate? Of yes. course it does. So how do we plant them back? How do we, what do we need to do to make it sustainable? Right? So, you know, or you don't charge as much or you charge what you need to charge. And you do it because you, 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 there's satisfaction in making an incredibly good distribution system independent because it makes life easier for people. They get their meds quicker or whatever it is that they need, you know, or, you know, and it makes people's lives better. And there's enormous satisfaction in helping make life have more quality. Yeah. And there's a thousand ways to do that. But you have to but you have to see that as a possibility and not just think, oh no, you know, because here, here's the thing. If if $10 billion isn't enough, clearly you have an inner homework to do. Yes. And if you think hundred billion is going to make it better, it won't. No. I had a friend actually one time I worked with. He said, I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. And I just looked him in the eyes and I said, no, you won't. And he looked at me and says, 
He's like, well, what the hell is this guy talking about? Right? <laughs> and he looked at me and he says, why not? I said, because when, when you make a million dollars, if you do, you'll have three days where you're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. Oh, I did it. I did it. You're going to be really happy for three days on the fourth day. Something still isn't right. Your, your, your heart, there's a letdown. There's like a depression. There's like a, uh, I thought it was going to make me feel cared for, but it didn't do it. So maybe if I make $10 million, you know, or then you set a different goal. Or yeah. did you try and you get that? If you get it, you'll have a three days again. Yeah, I did it, did it, did it. And then this thing will be back again. Uh, something's still missing. Because you can't fix on the outside what is broken on the inside. The disconnection is on the inside. The reconnection has to be on the inside. True. And it doesn't matter if, you're, if it's $200 billion or $500 billion yep. or you're the first person to make it over a trillion dollars. You're still going to feel as discontent as you did. And that's why, that's why greed. Greed is just a form of discontent that comes from disconnection. Then you, and then you think, well, money is going to be the thing. Money makes you happy. No, money doesn't make you happy. Happiness makes you happy. Yes. And happiness is a state of being that has nothing to do with money that you can have with money or without money. Money is not, <laughs> money is irrelevant to the reality of happiness. It's so true. I learned that lesson when I was 25. I think it was a little bit earlier than some people learn it. Mm -hmm. And it was really profound for me. Because at that age, you know, I thought about midlife as like a while away, right? Yeah, like I'm 25 yeah, yeah. and I'm like, oh, midlife. And I remember I was sitting in my car. I remember it was clear as day and I saw the path, right? Call it the quote unquote American dream of like continuing to kick the ball out in front of you. When I get here, I'll be happy. When I buy this house, I'll be happy. When I get this amount of money, I'll be happy. And then getting to a point where you realize like over and over again, none of that's making you happy. And then there's just more disconnection from self, like whether it's yeah. drinking alcohol every night or like checking out with food or whatever it was. And it was yeah. like, it was like the whole thing, you know, how they talk about when you pass, like all your life flashes before your eyes. Yeah. I was sitting in my car, looking out the windshield and it all just became, it just downloaded in, right? It was just clear. And I saw the whole thing and I was like, oh my gosh. And for, for a week after that, I was having a hard time with like, how to really move forward in my life, knowing what I already know. It's like, am I going to walk through that trap? Like, it's just a trap, right? And it's not, there is no, like you said, connection to yourself in that. And you always think, even if it proves time and time again, people that are in that cycle, that next thing is always going to be that thing that makes you yeah. happy, makes you loved, makes you safe, whatever it is for you. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess at 25, you'd kicked enough balls down the road. I had. To, 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 to realize that wasn't going to do it, right? No, totally. And yeah. and I hadn't quite like figured it out. I mean, the stuff we're talking about today and, and finding my way back to myself, like I didn't have that awareness at the time, like of like, what's the answer to this? Yeah. But I But it disconnected me in a certain way from like, you know, when you become aware of something unconscious, you can never not see that again. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I became aware of that, which had been unconscious and I never ever could not see that. And I would watch other people be in that mm -hmm. and I would observe it go on around me and I would observe the way that I would interact sometimes with it. And then I would be like, no, I already know that. I already see that. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Um, but it was really interesting. And I just, it's almost like like the way it occurred for me is almost as if we robotically like go down these paths. Like it felt very like not of this higher consciousness and making a conscious choice, but just like getting on a treadmill. Right. And it just keeps going and going yep. and going. And you think yep. it's going to go somewhere else, but it really doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, and the, and the sadness that that builds inside of people, whether they're aware of it or not, as time goes on, as I continue to kick the ball out and it continue to not deliver what they want. And those like, micro like sadnesses and terrors in our own like yeah. heart from that experience it was really like I was like what do I do with this at 25 I remember thinking I was like oh gosh I figured out something that I think was kind of profound at that age um but yeah it was it was a moment I'll never forget yeah what will become of me yeah <laughs> where heartache. do I go from here heartache. heartache for me it happened when I was 17 I remember feeling heartache and not being able to shake it 
Yeah. And maybe it's because I got, went through the ward, so we went through a lot of things. And I knew rich people when I was at university. As well. Some of my friends had very rich parents. We went to them. They weren't any happier than I was. No. So, so when I was 17, I realized something's missing. My heart was aching. I couldn't shake it. And then it wasn't, it was about 13 years before I understood what that was. As people would say to me, I would talk about it, and people would say, oh, don't think about that. It'll just make you, it'll just drive you crazy. Or some people in my family said, why can't you just get a job like your brother? <laughs> right. And I couldn't. I couldn't because it was like there was something, it was like, it was always there. And they didn't understand it because, and, I, and it's because I couldn't distract myself anymore. I, I, I ran out of distractions. Yeah. And then, so... And then the last distraction was when my son was born. We called him the Rosebud Prince because when he was sleeping, it was like so calm, so peace. And they had him one time, we had him lying in a blanket on a juniper bush. Aww. It was so beautiful. And his features, they were just like so perfectly formed. And as much love as I felt for this little baby, this was not taken care of. And, it, and at that point, I realized, because people always said, look, get good marks, you'll be happy. Got good marks, wasn't happy. Get a good job, you'll be happy. Got a good job, wasn't happy. Get a good wife, you'll be happy. Got a good wife, wasn't happy. Have some good children, you'll be happy. First kid was born, wasn't happy. At that point, I said, you know what? What's happening in here? is not going to be fixed out there. What's happening in here requires an inside fix. And that was for me was like the, a very big turnaround. Oh my God, it's not out there, it's in here. That's what heartache was telling me, but I hadn't really put it together. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, so where do I find it? So I said to the lady that I was, that's the mother of the child, I said one day, I know there's a perfection within me. I know I'm not connected to it. I need to find someone to show me a step. And the next day, so I was very clear about this condition and what I needed. And the next day I heard about somebody, they called him perfect master. I didn't know what that meant, but I had perfection in my mind. I said, I've got to see this guy. And when I saw him, he said, the peace you search for in the world is within you. And I can show you how to connect to that. And he was 14 and I was 30 at the time. Wow. And I was like, yeah, you know, 40, the 40, what's a 14 year old going to teach me? I've been around, I'm pretty smart. And then I thought, well, you know, peace is important because I had my war and I, peace was a topic for me. And I said, well, I will check him out. Just in this case, he can. I wouldn't want to miss it. I don't think he can. And if he can't, I'll just keep looking. So it was very, it was all very skeptical. And then she showed me a way just to quieten down my externalization of my senses. Like basically, it's just like, you know, cover your, you know, cover your senses. So you so you're less easily distracted by stuff going on outside because your senses are always attracted to noise or to, to movement or to color or to shape or to taste or to feeling, right? Yes. So you, so you, so, so you, dis, so you minimize the distraction and then you just sit and wait for your awareness to come home. And there's a tendency for your awareness to come home when you sit still long enough. And then, so I then, and then I thought, well, this is too simple because I had figured out, well, we just went to the moon in 1969. This was in 1972, right? So we've, we've made it to the moon. It was really complicated, but we haven't made it to peace. So peace must be more complicated than going to the moon. This is how the, the way I logicked it out, right? But then what happened is, my, my ex and I would argue every day. I would just say one thing, she would immediately take the opposite view and we'd go at it. And I was insecure enough to want her to agree with me. And she never agreed with me. 
<laughs> or get her to agree with me. <laughs> so frustrated. And it was like, I'm either going to hit her or I need to go for a walk. So I would go for a walk, sit down on a log, do this practice of just being quietening down for five or 10 minutes because I couldn't st sit still any longer than that. And by the time I had done that, I would look at it and say, what, we argued about that? That's so trivial. And then I learned that if I did the practice before the argument, I wouldn't rise to the bait. Uh, and he's, he had said, give it a chance. He called it knowledge, self-knowledge. Give it a fair chance. He didn't say what that was. I said, okay, I'll try it for six months. Now I would say lifelong till you check out, right? Yes. Every day, you know, give, give, give some energy, give some time to that. So I said, okay, I'll try it for six months. And by the time six months were up, I looked at it and I said, wow, this actually works. And so that was like, in August, it'll be 50 years. So I've been doing the practice for 50 wow. years. Yeah. And I've done other practices and, you know, I'm always trying to find other ways to how can, how can I become more present in all of my being and my surroundings and not be lost in my head, in my trippy thoughts, in my dramas and traumas and memories and interpretations and all the chatter that goes on in the surface of my cortex, but nowhere else in my body because the chatter is all in my head, right? Yes. So how do you get your awareness out of the chatter? You can do it by going into your breathing. You can do it by feeling your bum on the chair. You can do it by, you know, pinching yourself. You can do it by taking a cold shower. Right? There's lots of things you can do that get you out of your head. Because the moment you're out of your head, you begin to be in the experience of being. Then oh. there's sensations in your body, right? There's sensations in your body. And then in behind the sensations is a quietness. And in that quietness, you find your peace, aware, being aware of awareness. So beautiful. And out of that awareness, the unconditional love begins to bloom. Yes, the love, the love. Udo, thank you so much. It's yeah. just been an absolute honor and pleasure um, to have the former conversation we had. If you guys haven't listened to it, um, I definitely highly recommend listening to it. And then this moment in time, it's just, I've been receiving and I have taken the intention of what you've shared into my heart. Um, and it's definitely contributing to my life as I know everybody li listening. So thank you for your journey. Thank you for all that you shared. Um, and thank you for the give that you have given on this planet and how you've shown up. It's just truly awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing how, how time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Hey, lovely. This is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at the Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love. Here's to positive vibes and powerful awakenings.